I admit, most of my experience in the healthcare industry has been focused on just that, healthcare. However, this is only one side of the overall challenge our industry is facing. The other is public health. Public health is sometimes commonly shorthanded as all the other factors that lead to maintaining a healthy society, the social determinants of health. That is, socioeconomic status, education, neighborhood and physical environment, employment, and social support networks, as well as access to health care. Our national health pandemic has only highlighted the gaps we have in addressing public health challenges in our society. With the dramatic impact it has had on underserved populations, and with record levels of unemployment in these same communities, and frankly, a partisan approach to addressing the pandemic, it makes me ask, is there such a thing as a political determinant of health? Welcome to The New Normal, conversations about the future of healthcare from Touchpoint Media. Through interviews with leading industry experts, this program explores how the current public health crisis is forcing our industry to transform and change. In this episode, I speak with Brian Castrucci, President and Chief Executive Officer of the De Beaumont Foundation, a leading voice in health philanthropy and public health practice. Brian leads the De Beaumont Foundation's efforts to advance policy, build partnerships, and strengthen the public health system to create communities where people can achieve their best possible health. Listen in as we discuss how public health should change in this post-COVID-19 world. Obviously, from your role, you have a very unique perspective on public health and also your perspective on how it interacts with the healthcare system, because I see those as really two sides of a coin. Oh, absolutely. I mean, public health and healthcare are part of the same stream. We're just at different parts. Ultimately, if public health is working, then there should be less of a burden on healthcare. You go to get healthcare when you're sick, and public health is working at a community level to ensure that everyone has their optimal chance at living their best life. When you pair really good policy and strong community health with the exceptional healthcare that we have in this country, that's the path to really excellent health. And health in our country, really, it, it is the foundation for everything that we do, whether it's um, going to church on Sunday, going to work, getting better grades in school, you have to be healthy. But right now, we've really chronically underfunded half of that equation. Public health gets very little funding when you compare it to healthcare, when you compare it to defense. We need to prioritize health, not just health care, if we want to actually meet the expectations that we have for our country. When you talk about health and public health in, in, in general, I think a lot of people shorthand refer to the, the social determinants of health as being sort of those key characteristics. When you think about health, we make a lot of our individual choices, but those choices are shaped by our environment. When you're meeting with your doctor and he or she says, well, you should exercise more. That's a good suggestion, but do I even have a place to exercise? Can I walk safely at night? Eat healthier. Well, that's a great suggestion. Where do I eat healthier? Do I have access to fresh fruits and vegetables? Can I even afford to buy fresh fruits and vegetables? So when you really start to unpack it, whether it's tobacco advertising in your neighborhood or poor streets or safety. All of that links back to health. Think about a house. You spend a lot of time in your own home thinking about the color of your walls, what kind of window treatments you're going to have. You don't really think about the foundation of your house uh, until something goes drastically wrong. Public health 
is that foundation. And right now with COVID-19 happening, we're seeing all of the cracks in our foundation. And we need to invest in those cracks because what you see right now is that when that foundation fails, everything else can come to a halt. Yeah. And that, when we're talking about the cracks in the foundation, I think we're starting to see that more and more in terms of some of the the outcomes we're seeing with COVID-19 in terms of it impacting underserved communities at a much greater rate. The roots of public health funding or the lack of funding in this particular case, that's been a longstanding challenge, right, with our industry. Because I, I think a lot of the funding that we hear about health really goes into the healthcare system, to the hospitals, to the physicians, and not necessarily on public health initiatives. We've just watched an an entire Democrat primary talk about Medicare for all. And Medicare for all solves a problem, but it still doesn't do anything to stop why people are getting sick in the first place. Instead of just paying for illness, I would like to invest in health and invest in wellness. That's what we need to do more of in the U.S. We need to have a real conversation about the decisions that we make and the investments that, that we want. You take a, a healthcare situation where someone comes to the ER because they don't have adequate housing or they're hungry because they don't have adequate food, they're food insecure. Now, the hospitals have done a good job moving kind of more upstream and saying, listen, we're going to take care of your housing tonight. We're going to give you a place to stay tonight, or we're going to give you access to some food, okay? But those are Band-Aids, and we are very much a a Band-Aid country. We don't get to the root cause of the problem. And this is where I think healthcare has a major role to play. Healthcare in a lot of places, they're the largest employer in their communities. They also have a fair bit of uh, influence over local politicians. And so in some ways, healthcare taking this on, housing and food, and these are not healthcare's issues. They're having an impact on patient outcomes. But healthcare needs to push back and say to local government, this is your responsibility. What's your solution to affordable housing? What's your solution to food insecurity? And, And take something like food insecurity. You could take the data that the hospital has, it would allow us to really uh, pinpoint where the food insecurity is. We then take those data to the city council or county commission, to the mayor and say, hey, look, here's the problem. And there's not a a grocery store here. So what what we're going to do is the local hospital might put up some low interest loans to attract a grocery store to come into that area. And the city is going to make sure they waive some taxes. And together, They're going to bring a grocery store with the community's guidance to ensure that there will be uptake. That's the path to health in America. Lower health care costs, less illness, and better health, which means better productivity and thriving and economically strong communities. And that's what we want. The path is there. We just don't have the political will to walk down it. I actually recently heard a term. Someone referred to it as the political determinants of health. Is there a political determinant of health in our society? There is absolutely a political determinant of health. There's a lobby for guns. There's a lobby for alcohol. There's a lobby for soda. Where's the public health lobby? We can't buy access because we have no money. And we have totally missed. This is a shared value. And that is hopefully the lesson that comes out of this pandemic. If anyone is surprised at anything happening right now, they're not paying attention. 
We knew that half of Americans were only living paycheck to paycheck. We knew that most couldn't survive a $400 expense. We knew these things. We knew that during 121 consecutive months of economic growth, we didn't move the federal minimum wage by one penny. So we were gambling for a long time. This time we rolled craps. And now we're all shocked at the outcomes. Of course, if you close down the economy and half your country is living paycheck to paycheck, that's going to have an impact. And and we are actually listening to people talk about how we can't prioritize lives over livelihood. I am shocked that we are living in a country right now where we're having that debate because one of those can be solved and one of them right now cannot. Right now, we don't have a therapeutic and we don't have a vaccine for COVID-19. We most assuredly could have more economic stimulus. We could be putting more into our economy uh, to help people survive this. If we just went back to that simple math of, of just investing an ounce of prevention for every pound of cure, we would drastically improve the public health of this country and we'd have more resources. As you're describing it, it, it makes sense to me, but it also seems a little bit nebulous and probably served on a policy level by multiple institutions and federal levels and state levels. And everybody has a different approach to how we're going to solve the public health issue. And this is even prior to the pandemic. It's no wonder as we have this pandemic suddenly impact us, it's what I guess what we call a perfect storm. It is a perfect storm. And also, it is illustrative of the biggest challenge in public health. And that to me is this kind of public health paradox, where the, the better public health does it at its job, the less people believe that there was ever a problem to begin with. There were models that suggested that millions of people could die from COVID-19. And then they didn't. And so now folks are saying, well, look, you closed the economy. Well, you said there would be millions of deaths. Well, right. That's why everyone stayed home. We actually did something. And it was amazing that we were able, without a therapeutic and without a vaccine, to keep those numbers down. We took very strong and very courageous action. And our reward for that is being called Chicken Little and people opening up the economy willy-nilly now. We're in a really tough time right now. When you think about national crisis, when you think like World War II, even 9-11, those things brought the country together. You know, in the midst of World War II, no one was doubting whether the Germans existed or called Pearl Harbor fake news. And we have any number of people right now doubting that this virus exists. And that's an amazing time in America where we can't get behind our leadership to say we have to fight this virus. We are running an experiment where the participants are those that are the most vulnerable. So I'm in the state of Minnesota, and one of the things our governor did early on, he deemed uh, people that work in the supply chain and restaurant workers as emergency services and provided and afforded them all of the, the benefits that came along with that entitlement right within our economy. But that is something that's not consistent across the country. It kind of speaks to the fact that on a state or even a city level, it's it's such a patchwork quilt. Do you think that there is going to be a way where where we're going to incorporate best practices and start to implement them on a broader level than just by city by city, municipality by municipality? This is the real issue right now, and it's a constitutional issue. When we fight an actual war, that is clearly a responsibility of the federal government. Public health is left to the states. The HIV outbreak in Indiana that Pence, ha that Pence handled when he was governor, 
I mean, that was something that was just within the state of Indiana at that moment. This is not. This is really something that requires federal leadership and state coordination. It is super disturbing that the governor of the state of Maryland, with his wife, figured out how to buy 500,000 tests, and they are now in Maryland under guard from the National Guard. Drink that in for a second. That sounds like a bad post-apocalyptic movie, but it's today in America. And this is where a lack of political leadership and a, a lack of testing and a lack of preparation is really showing through. Um, the fact that we are one of two countries, uh, two industrialized countries that don't offer a national page sick leave standard, uh, that's a glaring hole in any preparedness structure because what is the first thing you do if you're if you're sick? They tell you to stay at home. You know, there are any number of Americans who just can't do that because they have to eat. They have to make sure they pay rent. Then you go into just all of the, the money that we have spent on preparedness, knowing that a pandemic wasn't a uh, an if, it was a when. When we talk about how we're going to respond to this crisis, we often compare ourselves and, and look at other countries. We need to look domestically first to figure out what we need to do to keep our population safe. There are many countries that are far ahead of the U.S. right now. Typically, the U.S. is a leader. In, in this case, we need to look at what other countries have done, and it, and it really comes down to testing. Contact tracing requires someone to be an index case. So either I need to be sick and get tested and I'm positive, or I have population level testing and so I come up as positive. And even though I'm not sick, I can still trace my contacts. That's a huge challenge. And it's one that we need every bit of American ingenuity, technology, innovation, entrepreneurialism to come together and try to solve. But Lincoln said, a, a house divided cannot stand. I think we can add to that. A, a nation divided can't really handle an epidemic so well. And you mentioned sort of this complex patchwork of public and private entities kind of coming together to, to address this. And let's, let's use contact tracing as an example. Australia, both public and private entities came together and developed contact tracing applications that are now on phones. And millions of Australians have downloaded it in order to kind of help address this public health crisis. But here in America, when we start talking about contact tracing, you know, immediately the hair on the back of their neck stand up because they're like, wait a second, you're tracing me? You're using technology to trace me? Is this like a, a challenge with us having that American spirit, you know, of us wanting to be completely free and that means unmeasured, so to speak? Do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm asking? I 100% know what you're asking. <laughs> I, I don't think it's a challenge. I, I think it is about the ethos of America. We can't do some of the things that can be done in other countries because of how we view liberty, freedom, privacy, individualism. I think the technology is fascinating, that there's an app that everyone is choosing to put on their phone, and that when someone comes back positive, the phone somehow knows that you've been in contact with them and how close you've been. I mean, that's amazing. But vaccines are pretty amazing too. And we have a lot of folks in America who've chosen not to have them anymore. We're having resurgence of vaccine controllable disease. I can't see us being able to do that same kind of contact tracing. If we did, it would be voluntary. And I mean, 
I would be the first person to download that app. I think that would be wonderful, but you have to realize there'd be a lot of folks who wouldn't. And in the middle of a pandemic, we had groups of people protesting, just reading some of the news around people who aren't wearing masks. And their reaction when others ask them to wear the masks is amazing. It's because individualism is a real American ideal. I fear that it has become toxic. This is an inflection point for us. And we have to really think through what is the America that we want when this is over. And the answer to that question, it's interesting how different people are responding to that, individuals in our society. I'm very cognizant of my role as I kind of walk through society, and I'm conscious of the fact that I'm wearing a mask and that that's what I should be doing to minimize my contacts with others as I'm navigating through whatever the new normal will look like. But others are not. Others are responding indifferently. And it's, it's, it's surprising, but it's not, which is kind of a sad statement of American society, isn't it? I agree. We've made life a partisan issue. And and that's really hard. I mean, this is, you know, people have called this a partisan pandemic. Mm. Again, you can watch different news channels and get entirely different perspectives on this pandemic. And again, think about different times in our history when we have been challenged, we came together. You know, it is so hard for people to wrap their brains around, especially people who don't have the issues of hunger or racism or they've always had paid sick leave and they don't experience income disparities and they've never experienced poverty and they don't have pre-existing conditions, right? You know, you're probably surviving uh, this pandemic really well. I think Rich Besser from the Robert Johnson Foundation said recently, if you are white and rich, you're going to get through just fine. But that's toxic individualism. That's the fact that the effective tax rate on billionaires is much less now than it was in the 1950s. That's toxic individualism. This kind of pandemic, right, where it's inside our shores, where this is an, a threat internally. And I give the governors tremendous credit for making really hard decisions to shut down the economy. That is a courageous decision. It was unfortunate that it was met with some disdain from the federal government. And the protesters should be asking not why can't I go back to work? They should be asking, where are our tests? But we distracted people instead of really doubling down and focusing on testing. It is really hard because ultimately with healthcare, people really understood the ventilator issue. They understood the stories that came from doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals. People can understand that. What we don't understand as well is the story of public health. And that there are many things that we can do societally that will help us be healthier. And it, and it doesn't mean that we're taking freedoms. It doesn't mean that we're taking capitalism away. I guess my question is, you know, you look at developers who are buying up huge sections of cities to make million dollar studio apartments. That's great. Make your money. But you know what? How much is enough? So we need to put some taxes on those developers so that the city can then buy parcels of land and build affordable housing. No one's saying don't succeed. I guess the question is how much success is enough before you have a requirement to give some back so that we can maintain a society. You know, I keep saying to folks, we've hit a point in our culture where we think we only have to clean half the fish tank 
and somehow all the fish will live. Well, if you clean half the fish tank, eventually all the fish die. We live collectively. There's no way around that. But it's something we have conveniently forgotten. And of course, the conversation often turns you know, to, to pills and procedures and, and the healthcare issues. It really needs to, to be about policies and partnerships and how we make a world where everyone has a chance at success and a chance at achieving their optimal health. And honestly, right now, health is becoming a luxury item. And, and that's super scary. Yeah, that is a very scary proposition. But I also think that at times, our country, individuals, humanity, when times are really tough, there are some ways that we're going to kind of reinvent and, and grow from this and learn from this. So how do you see public health evolving from this? Are you optimistic about where we're going to be going in, in our country? Or are you on the opposite? Are you a little pessimistic? No, I'm totally pessimistic. We are at such different places politically that I don't see how we're coming together. I understand the dynamics of the disease. I understand what happens in a pandemic. I can deal with this intellectually. The tears that I shed in this are watching the protesters and realizing how far they are from me, from my colleagues that science doesn't guide us anymore. It's, it's met with resistance. It's met with disbelief. It's discredited. I don't want to get overly political because I don't want to blame any one group. But we did at one point in this pandemic have our president tell us to take a drug that was unproven. That's amazing. I don't, against that backdrop, see us coming together. I I think the, the disparities that we're seeing, those who care about them saw them before and knew about them. Those who didn't care about them knew about them and just chose not to invest. I hope that we really have a thoughtful conversation about power and about public health. And I hope healthcare is a real leader in saying that we need to invest in the public health system. Because as we move to value-based care, the only real path is a strong community and housing and food and exercise and the accessibility of those things have and will continue to impact uh, healthcare costs. And no hospital has enough money to solve the housing crisis. No hospital can singularly deal with food insecurity. We continue to put Band-Aids on it but we're not solving the problem. If you want to be optimistic about the future, it's going to take a New Deal kind of movement in the U.S. to put people back to work because we haven't even talked about the millions who are out of jobs, and that is directly impacting health. And we haven't even talked about, which we do a whole nother podcast on the mental health and well-being issues that are coming. That's the pandemic inside the pandemic that we've not talked about. As a country, we have totally divested in mental health care, and we're going to need it. And I think every political leader right now needs to start talking about the fact that it's okay to not be okay right now. Um, but that's, again, it's not our ethos, right? America doesn't cry. America doesn't admit weakness. America says, I'm okay. And that's not healthy. 
what I have seen in a response to this pandemic is a, a big outcry from the private sector and even from individuals in terms of, you know, supporting different charities and 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 doing different things to kind of support public assistance through donations, creating sort of a safety net for us riding through sort of these economic downturns that we're in. Do you see the role of the, the private sector as being part of the solution as well? I don't think we need charity. I think we need change. There was tons of money that went in after Katrina and after other natural disasters. They have a concert, we raise money, and I guess that money goes somewhere to help people. It's our natural response. And and there are going to be uh, COVID-19, and they already have been, there are going to be COVID-19 fundraisers and concerts and telethons and all these things. We are an extraordinarily generous country when it comes to charitable giving but then we don't want to make the change. We need policies to change the rules because the, the fact that any political leader would, would wonder why the poor are always suffering the most in crises, uh, it's because that's how that's set up. I love the fact that people like Zion Williams, um, who plays for the Pelicans, you know, supported the salary of some of the arena workers during this pandemic. I want him to go and advocate for a $15 minimum wage. That's what we need. That's what we need. You know, celebrities and athletes and folks who are so generous and so giving with the charity are less willing to engage in real change. That's the conversation to say, you know, I'm not going to play if we don't have paid sick leave in this state or the reason the star quarterback didn't go to Alabama was because you know, they don't have a $15 minimum wage. That's change. Charity lasts for only so long, but change goes on, right? So even the $1,200 that we gave in stimulus, how long does that really last in a city like New York where $1,200 can't really get you much of an apartment? This is the real challenge, and it, it needs systems change, not charity. And I know that is not probably a popular statement and it's probably provocative, but when are we going to change the game? When are we going to change the rules? And if we don't want to change the rules, that's fine, but then don't be surprised at the outcome. Brian, this has been incredibly eye-opening, a little bit sobering, but in, in all the right ways, I think. Uh, it really highlights and underscores some of the importance of the conversation around uh, the changes in the future of healthcare really certainly need to include public health. And so I really appreciate you sharing your expertise and your time today. Uh, thank you, Chris. And just, you know, be safe and be well. The coronavirus pandemic has dramatically impacted our industry in many ways. From healthcare data privacy, the role of the physician, how we approach strategy and the new healthcare consumer, it's clear we have a long way to go to develop a healthy society. And the rules have changed the game. The new healthcare patient consumers' needs have changed. The way we deliver care is being pushed into new modalities. Our relationships with partners and vendors are becoming critical. And yet, many of the fundamental issues we face in trying to serve our communities are still present. Do we have the fortitude and will to transform our industry to embrace the new normal? You've been listening to 
The New Normal, conversations about the future of healthcare from Touchpoint Media. If you enjoyed today's program, please take a moment to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you downloaded the show. The music from this program is I Dunno by Grapes and is available as a royalty-free download on ccmixter.org. To find out more about Touchpoint Media, visit us online at touchpoint.health.